right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. that. We don't got time for that. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. We'll be joined by David Lesky of Inside the Crown catching up on the Royals offseason coming up in about 35 minutes from right now. Um, but first, KU, K-State, didn't go well. And not only that, KU unable to cover the spread. How many times this season has KU not covered the spread by like such a small margin? I think of the Coastal Carolina game. You lose the spread by one point against Kansas State. Um, I mean, the difference on the offensive and defensive line, it was, I think, pretty stark to me between where these programs are right now. But honestly... I don't think it's it's like yes you have like Deuce Vaughn for instance um, who is you know all American level player running back for Kansas State there's not like a huge difference in my eyes in those skill positions and that's kind of the challenge for KU building up to that point of where Kansas State is in the trenches but I'll say this find someone who loves you as much as KU loves running on second and third and long especially when it gives you the opportunity to set up a 40 plus yard field goal. Yeah, I mean, I, I still, um, excuse me, I still um, am not as, I guess for me, this is such a long-term thing to me that I'm not really going to think much one way or the other about the play calls game to game. Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't mind the idea of them being more aggressive in the sense that what do you have to lose? You're expected to lose anyway, especially when you're down. Um, so I'm not, you know, I'm not celebrating when they when they run in those situations, but I also kind of wonder is is Lance Leipold's mindset? He doesn't want to try something on the field until he knows his team has it down. Uh, and then on top of that, does he just not want to put anything creative on film because he knows his team isn't in a position to really execute it at a super high level right now? Anyway, uh, I again, I, I'm not. In normal circumstances, I completely agree. You, you shouldn't, you know, that's far too conservative, and it's exactly what we've been cl- complaining about with every KU uh, regime, football regime over the last decade. Um, but I, I just, I'm, I'm okay with. I, I guess I don't mind it. I guess I'm not okay with it, but I don't mind it. I, I'm not saying you got to run a trick play or something crazy like just. It's third down and eight, and you're at the Kansas State, you know, 25-yard line, and you run like a QB power to the left. And and to be clear, I don't know if that was a play call. I don't know if that was an audible from Jason Bean. Whatever it is, it's just those things find ways for you to not take advantage of certain situations. You had an opportunity there to go down and tie the game, and and that's not the only reason you lost. I don't want to make it sound like that's the case, and I don't want to make it sound like I – 
don't think that Andy Kotelnicki can't get the job done. I think Andy Kotelnicki can still be a good offensive coordinator. I just it's it's frustrating because this is happening every game. They're running on second and ten so many times. They're running on on third and seven or throwing a little bubble screen on third and twelve, and it just it, it feels like you're almost giving up. But again, wh- whatever. Because it, I guess to your point, it doesn't really matter this season. Um, Real quick, do you think they don't think they can do more than that? If that's the case, then I kind of am worried. Yeah, I do, mean, if do you if, think they don't, do you, you just don't think they, do you think it's possible that they look at their talent and say that's all they've got? I mean, it's, yes, it is possible is the short answer to that. But I, I guess here's my thing, and, and maybe this is the difference between being that and a coach. Like, you're at Kansas, you're winning one game a year, right? Like, why not just try something? You know, why not be aggressive? And, yeah. and that's what's weird. Like, they actually have been pretty aggressive on fourth downs this year. I mean, the numbers would would bear that out, and I think a lot of people would even say you wish they were more aggressive even on more fourth downs. But, like, compared to the country, they actually have been one of the more aggressive teams there. So, I, I, I don't know. I guess uh, part of me does understand being more conservative, and the other part of me thinks it's the worst thing you can do because it just – it does for a program that is looking for any ounce of an advantage you can get and is basically playing with your backs against the wall where it's basically saying, well, if we don't get it, oh, well, we were expected to not get it. We were expected to lose this game. But if we do get it, it gives us a chance. And I get that you'd rather lose a game, for instance, 21-3 to than 35-3, to right? That helps as, uh, I don't know, does it help in, in building a program? Does it help in, in recruiting guys? Maybe. Um, it's not a blowout loss, but... I just I feel like there there's a little bit of like giving up in that sense. Just I, I would just say be aggressive, try. And if you're afraid of those negative plays, if you're afraid of the fact that they don't trust the guys that are in there to do it, then at that like where's the cutoff there? Why not at that point just kneel it every time on offense? Yeah, I think to add to that, um, you, you could talk about maybe because of the offensive line and, and the difference in the talent or, or the lack, really, of difference in talent and skill positions versus the talent on the line. Maybe you're worried about you know the quarterback getting hurt, but the other side of that is you're running your quarterback. Well, so guess it, what? It, it isn't like it, – well, and then that ship kind of <laughs> sailed. So it's not like you're – but even, even before then, it's not like mm-hmm. your quarterback was a pocket passer and you're, you're worried about him getting hurt. You, you you have you know you use your quarterback quarterback's athleticism as it is and and get him hit and that's part of the game, um, but you certainly can't say that uh, that it's avoiding tackles for him because he's running. Yeah, and so I guess that's something that we're just gonna have to wait and see, right? Because you can't go out there and call a play you haven't worked on in practice or that hasn't worked in practice or that you haven't developed a player into doing. So I do understand that point of it. Um, it's just, I don't know, it's, it's a little bit of a, uh, I don't know, red flag's a little too harsh. But it's something that... But if nothing else, it makes it less fun to watch. That too. That's a good point as well. You're trying to entertain fans, right? Um, but it's something where, like you said, you can explain it this year, but if that's happened in year three, it, it's definitely going to cause uh, a lot of worry out of that. And, and by the way, you mentioned quarterback getting injured. Well, Jason Bean got injured, came back in after Miles Kendrick got injured. Miles Kendrick... Uh, out for the season. That's what Lance Lightbold said at the Big 12 teleconference earlier today. Also, Tory Lachlan out for the season, according to Lance Lightbold on the Big 12 teleconference. So now you're beat up. And on top of that all, apparently Jason Mean might not play this weekend as well, which is interesting for a couple outlets. One, 
you're, you're trying to just see progress and, and get as many reps as you can for Jason Bean, but it's also interesting for Jalen Daniels. Jalen Daniels had to play a lot in the Kansas State game. He uh, had some good moments in the game. You know, stats don't blow you off the page, but the stats aren't like horrendous either where you walk away from it going, oh, man. And what's interesting now with Jalen Daniels, I believe that was his third game he played in this year against Kansas State. Redshirt rules, you can play max of four. So Jalen Daniels hypothetically could start this week and play all this week, but then he can't play again. So does it, in your mind, maybe it's just Jason Bean regardless if he can play after this, but let's say Jalen Daniels goes out there on Saturday against Texas. You are competitive. Jalen Daniels has a good passing game. How much do you consider pulling the red shirt there? I'm not sure. Did he have a touchdown? It was 30, He was 13 for 19. I don't know. I thought he did, yeah. Yardage or, I can't remember how they, they – they got one touchdown at least. Anyway, um, here's what I know. I know that they're going to use Jalen Daniels and uh, Jason Bean to challenge one another in the spring. And I think that'll be a good thing because I believe all, all you know, all, all tides or a high tide raises all ships. Um, quick note, Miles Fallon, he, Leipold also noted Miles Fallon will be Jalen's backup. Mm, I've been waiting for and this day. He seemed, I've been waiting for it. Everybody called me a, a an idiot. Well, joke's on you. Miles Fallon might get run. Sorry. Okay. This was before you were here. All right. Um, I'm glad we got that off your chest. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I, I do think... Uh, it's, I don't know. I mean, I, I it's, you know, what what are you willing to sacrifice for, um, you know, for this season, or or do you think that? I mean, it's entirely possible that if if you want Jalen Daniels to really have a shot to challenge Jason Bean, uh, maybe he does need reps. Um, so I I don't know. I I think uh, this week, if Jason Bean is indeed out, and I think um. I think Lance Leipold's exact words in the Big 12 teleconference were questionable at best. So if Jason Bean is indeed out and Jalen Daniels has to play quarterback, um, then I think this week will go a long way to determine. I'd be very interested, I I guess, if Jalen Daniels plays really well, plays and plays well against Texas, um, Lance Leipold will have a lot of explaining to do if he decides to keep the red shirt on him. It's, yeah, it's... (laughs) It's a weird discussion because on one hand, you could say if he plays well against Texas, just keep letting him get run because he's going to gain valuable experience and you want to be able to build off that momentum, yeah. right? And and you would want, ideally, in a perfect world, him to have enough momentum from that game that leads into the offseason that makes you feel like... Because I, I don't really care who it is, whether it's Jalen Daniels, Jason Mean, you just want a guy to be like, okay, we know who the starting quarter probably is going to be. We know who it's going to be, right? Yeah, I want August to come around, and we know who the starter is. Exactly. And so, from that standpoint, it'd be great. But also, from the same standpoint of everything we talk about, where it's just like, everything right now needs to be about building for the future. Because, you know, you're not you're not making a bowl game or anything this year. Uh, build it so that it'll help you two, three, four years down the road. And by all that indication... You need to make sure you keep Jalen Daniels' red shirt, but it's hard to decipher what matters more to the future of the quarterback position. Is it getting him momentum at the end of the season, or would it be giving him an extra year? Well, yeah, what's what are you going to be able to get more out of? A fourth year mm-hmm. of Jalen Daniels in which he had a bunch of experience his freshman year, or a fifth year of Jalen Daniels in which he had less experience mm-hmm. his freshman year? I don't, and I, and, I don't and know the, the other that. the other side of that is. 
if you decide to keep the red shirt on him, does that mean then that Miles was it Miles Fallon? Yeah, he's he becomes Jason Bean's backup. Mm-hmm. If you decide to keep the red shirt on on Jalen Daniels, mm-hmm. so a lot goes into that decision. Yeah, and so uh, to be clear, I I don't think there'd be any question they would play him this game. The question would be the week after that, based on a how he plays, based on b j. I mean, it might be taken out of your hands if if uh, Jason Bean just can't play for the next two weeks. What else are you gonna do? Yeah, I mean, start Miles Fallon, but I don't, I don't think they're gonna do it. I think he no, came in as a walk on. Yeah, I, I don't think it would either. Santa Clarita represent, but nonetheless. Um, Okay, so I, I think that'll be interesting. That's honestly the biggest storyline to me this week, besides the fact that Texas consistently blows second-half leads and honestly is not that good. Um, we have a good running back matchup, but really that's the biggest thing that I'm watching for. Uh, KU Basketball Week is finally here. KU takes on Michigan State tomorrow in the Champions Classic. We'll have pregame for you starting at 4.30 here on KLWN with tip-off at 6 o'clock. I've got some quick KU props that I want to get into here. Let's do it. All right, first up, who leads KU in scoring? Remy Martin. It's boring, but Remy Martin. I think the the other possibility, depending on the manner in which they play, is Dave McCormick. The reason I bring that up is because I think um, any one guard having a hot game benefits mm-hmm. David McCormick. So Ochai being hot benefits David McCormick. Remy being hot benefits David McCormick. Christian Brown being hot benefits David McCormick. Um so I think there's you could paint a scenario in which David McCormick might not have many games where he just goes crazy, but he might be the most consistent guy. Um, but I still say Remy Martin. I, I think if this team once gets to where they want to be, it's going to be Remy Martin. I would agree with that. I think I'm still going to go Dave, though, just because we know Bill Self likes to get in the post. If you have that guy, it's, it's going to help. And um, I could... I don't know. There, I think there's going to be like more outburst games from Remy Martin. Like, I, I don't think David McCormick will have a game where he scores 30 points. Yeah, but he might. But have, I think but Remy it, Martin I, might. It, yeah, and you don't. But on the other side of that, I don't know that David McCormick's going to have a game where he scores less than 12. Exactly, and I think there could be a couple games where either Remy Martin's just not shooting well, or maybe that game he has you know 10 and seven instead yeah. of 15 and five. Uh, who hits the most threes for KU this season? Oh, try. I think that's an easy one. The only Brown is the only yeah hesitation there. I mean, Jalen Coleman. If you did this as like a a per minute basis, like if you extrapolated out and did a per forty thing, yeah, you could you could argue with me. Like Jalen Coleman lands might be kind of interesting there, but I, I think Ochai is the answer. Uh, over under one and a half non conference losses. So we're counting the Kentucky game. Yes. Um, where's Kentucky, the where is that Kentucky game? It's, it's in Allen Fieldhouse. You have Kentucky, and this obviously would be regular season. Um. Michigan State is the other big one, and then the ESPN Orlando Invitational where you could Alabama and, I don't know, other solid teams. Yeah, but where, St. John's and Colorado yeah, on the, was, the road. Yeah, St. Yeah. John's, golly. Um, I guess I'll lean over, but I think they – I do think they beat Kentucky. Mm-hmm. But I just think between Michigan State, St. John's on the road on a weird, mm-hmm. you know, situation, Alabama – in a weird environment, um, and Colorado on the road, I can find two losses there. But this is such a talented team. It really is. I really, I can see, as long as they don't completely lose themselves, Mm -hmm. which I don't anticipate, I just think there are going to be times where this team is so talented and self does not want to hear people saying this, 
But I do think in a lot of ways this team is so talented that they can really have a bad game and still beat a lot of teams. Yeah, and you can just pull certain players and hope that one of the bench players has a good game. I think I would go the over as well, though. Um, that's just a lot of good teams. Like, that's what's weird. If all goes right, you're going to be favored in the home game against Kentucky. You're going to be favored in all those non-conference games. You're favored against Michigan State. It's just the odds that odds are that they'll lose at least one. So the question becomes, will they lose another? I, I wouldn't be surprised if they got upset by Michigan State tomorrow night, to be honest. That's not an indication that I think they're worse than Michigan State. I just I always think back to some of the, the Champions Classic losses where you lose the game and then you feel awful afterwards. Or an early season loss, like I think of the Indiana one, Frank yeah, Mason's year. Tyler Self is and having just, to come in and yeah, overtime exactly. because of foul trouble. And and you're thinking like, oh man, that was not the start. I thought this team was a lot better. And then they go out. They and turned reel out off. to be one of the best teams. Exactly. In the country, it's just yeah. like a bad first game. So I, I would take the over on that. But I don't. You know, you could get upset, like you said, at St. John's, an early morning game in New York where you're on the East Coast or something. Uh, over under point five first or second team APL Americans. Uh. Whew. Second team, um, give me the, ooh, man. I, I'm going to stick with the storyline of that there's mm-hmm. just too much spread around and, and it'll be under. Just because I, I, I that's what a lot of people are talking about. Um, the amount of minutes Dave is going to get makes me think he has a possibility of getting on the second team. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I don't think anybody will get first team. But, yeah, it, I, I'm going to stick with that storyline and say it comes to fruition that there's so much talent on this team that you've got Three guys, four guys who could be, but the vote is so spread out that none of them actually get on there. The way for me that this happens, Kansas goes like thirty-one and three. If they're like, if they're not just like one of the best teams, but they're like, oh, they're going to be the number one overall seed. It's going to be hard to deny, even if David McCormick is playing, you know, only twenty-five minutes a game, giving you fifteen and seven, and that doesn't stack up to. I don't know, some other big man who's averaging 18 and 10. Yeah. Like David McCormick might get the nod there. So uh, I don't know. I'm just going to go with under. I think it's the safe bet, but it wouldn't surprise me if they have just that good of a season that they have to force somebody on there. Uh, Okay. You can either pick the over, the under, or you can pick push on this one. One combined Big 12 regular season plus Big 12 tournament championship. So if you think they're going to win both, that's over. If you think they're not going to win either, that's that's so under. It's, it's pushes if they get one of the two. I'll take the over. You think they'll get both? Yeah, I think they'll get both. I would probably... I mean, the, the, the tournament means so much to yeah. itself. I think they're the best team in the Big 12, and they're going to win the Big 12 regular season. And I just... I mean, I'm taking the numbers. They've won mm-hmm. that thing so much in Kansas City. I would still take a push. I think that's where the money play is, that they just win one of two. We've seen a lot of good yeah, KU they, teams they lose could, in the they, tournament. Yeah, they could fall... Baylor could get him in the There's a lot championship of good teams. game. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they they it's they could fall. I, mm-hmm. I think the the if you had to rank most likely scenarios, I would say Big Twelve regular season only is the most likely. Um both of them is the second most mm-hmm. likely, and zero is the third most likely. Yeah, I would probably agree with that. I mean, like yeah, there's really good teams in the Big Twelve. Uh over under one and a half as their seed line in the NCAA tournament. So if you pick under, that means they'd be a one seed. Yeah. Um, I think they wind up as a one. I think it's a good team. I think they kind of blow. I, I think they play a schedule that, you know, I think depending on how it shakes out, I think 14 and four in a Big 12 tournament mm-hmm. championship puts them on the one line. I'll say they're a one seed. Yeah, if you go, uh, I forget exactly how many non-con games they play. I think 14. 
somewhere around there. If you go 11 and 3 in the non-con and go 14 and 4 against this version of the Big 12 and we mentioned all those good teams you're playing in the non-con, 25 and 7 with a couple wins in the Big 12 tournament. That might be enough to get a one seed as is with that schedule. Um I almost feel like I should take the over though cuz it's the money play. You get literally every, every other, other seed, seed yeah. right? And we've seen great KU teams get two seeds. I don't know. But I think the expectation I, I is to get a one the, seed. Going into a year expecting a one seed, and again, every year is its individual year, mm-hmm. so the history history doesn't always mean much. I'm trying to think of a really good team um, going into a year that I that I thought was capable of getting a one seed that didn't. Probably the Diedrich Lawson team. That, but that team, once they lost as a bookie, mm-hmm. I didn't think they were one. And even then, that team was more... I, I don't think that team was as much of, oh, we know for sure they're going to be great. It was like, oh, they have a lot of interesting pieces. Let's see how this goes. And they were kind of ranked number one because somebody had to be ranked number one. Yeah. So, I don't know. That's a good question. Um, I'll just take the over just because it's, it's the numbers play. And I don't know. I feel like there's percentages there, but... I would, if I had to like predict a seed, I'd probably one seed would, in your question about what's most likely, that's probably the most likely. It's just when you add up the likelihood of two plus three plus, so I don't know. Uh, first player to reach the Bill Self dog house. Remy Martin. Is is he already there? Yeah, I think he's already there. You think there. he is? I don't know if he's quite already there. I think he's definitely on the he's, doorstep. He's already though, right? compared him too much to Tyshawn Taylor. <laughs> And I think he hated slash loved mm-hmm. Tyshawn. Well, Taylor. and that's a good point because, like, I, I think sometimes when people hear Bill Self doghouse, they immediately think, "Oh, well, he's going to bench him. He's never going to play him." That's not the case. Like, I think you, just, you can be in the doghouse and still, you I, know, be a star or play on the team. Yeah, and I think when you're in the Bill Self doghouse, a lot of times it's because he has high expectations, mm-hmm. and and people picture Self screaming at his players on the sidelines, which he does. But I also think there's just as much as as many instances of him talking to him going, you know, you're not an idiot, but you're acting like one right now, and it's really frustrating me. Like, that, I mm-hmm. think, is just as common. Like, not him, like him basically saying, this, you know, this is what I expect of you, and the reason I'm angry is because you're, you're so far short of what I expect. Um, and I think, yeah, I think he'll have moments like that with Remy Martin. Yeah, I think that's probably the easy answer there. You could probably argue Jalen Wilson based on the off the the court stuff, but he seemed to to appreciate how he's owning up to it. So I, I don't know if that's necessarily the case. Um, and he also mentioned how he thought Jalen was being such a good like leader on the team. So kind of interesting there. Uh, will KU lose at Oklahoma State this year? Yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> where are they we we had oh, I can't pull up because we're recording. Um, mm-hmm. wh- what are they forty seventh on Ken Palm? Yeah, 37th, actually. 37th? Yep. Yeah, I'll say they get clipped in Stillwater. I mean, I that, it's kind of like Ames. Mm-hmm. I, I think they win in Ames this year because I don't think Iowa State's particularly good. Michigan State's but, solid, um, though. You what? I, I was just saying Michigan State's solid. So Michigan State? I'm sorry, Oklahoma Ames. State. No, that's what I'm saying. I think, yeah, yeah. I think oh, Stillwater, I think, is kind of like Ames where they've got mm-hmm. really good fans and when the when the team isn't quite as good as KU, but it still is uh, is pretty good, uh, that and the combination of the fans is good enough to, and the fact that the team will be really up for that game. Yeah, I think they get clipped in Stillwater. Yeah, it's just a rite of passage at this point. Uh, over under four and a half wins against SEC teams this season. How many games do they have? Kentucky, uh, possibly Alabama. You don't know if they're going to play Alabama, and then uh, two against Texas, two against Oklahoma. 
So you, well, okay, I'm not counting those <laughs> as SEC teams. So I'll take the under because I don't count those as SEC teams until it says SEC on their court. <laughs> and then over under one and a half Bill Self technicals. He's usually good He's for good one. good for at least one. Yeah. Uh, the question is, is there going to be another really close game where he, he wants to fire up his team a little more? Um, yeah, I'll give him two. I'll say, I'll say over. I'll take the under. I mean, if, if they're really good, then you have less reason to be mad. Yeah, all the I time, think right? you're going to have one where he's just angry. Yeah. You're going to have another. There's one every year. I could just picture one against, like, on a close call against Baylor or, you know, or Texas or something mm-hmm. when it's, you know, when it's like, like basically the, the one I'm thinking about is the triple overtime the uh, against Oklahoma. The end of the first half, there was a terrible foul call on Frank Mason where he got all ball and. Uh, self very clearly said, are you kidding me? But he put another word in there, mm-hmm. and that got him a technical. And he said after the game, well, yeah, well, you know, Frank's our bulldog. I'm going to fight for him. And uh, I think, so I think he'll, there's just going to be the one that he naturally gets, and there'll be another, I think, just during a close game where he feels like he needs to get a technical to fire up his team. Mm-hmm. All right, he's Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. David Lesky of Inside the Crown joins us in about 10 minutes. Could your business use a little push right now? Need help getting the word out there that you're hiring? Do you just want to let people know how great of a product you have? Well, you can advertise with Rock Chalk Sports Talk and or the Best of RCST podcast. For more information, contact D Johnson at gpmnow.com. That's D Johnson at gpmnow.com. KLWN with Adam Dravetta, Derek Johnson here. Uh, David Lesky joins us now on the phone of Inside the Crown, uh, talking Royals offseason and so forth with David. Uh, Andrew Heaney signing with the Dodgers, so the offseason is officially underway here. Uh, before we get into kind of the offseason with the Royals specifically, though, um, it's probably impossible not to discuss this offseason without mentioning the possibility of a lockout. Um, the CBA expires at the start of December. So, David, how confident are you that there's going to be an agreement before then? Before December 2nd, I would say 5%. I mean, the, the, the only the, the good side is and I think somebody in Athletic wrote this the other day, and it's true. When when there's a deadline, things start to come into place. And so you, you might start to see some movement like Black Friday. <laughs> like They're going to get through Thanksgiving, and then they're going to be like, okay, we sent, we sent the family out shopping. Let's talk. And um, it could happen. I, I, I don't want to say it can't possibly happen because in the past we've seen things that look – dire heading into the deadline and then either a deal is reached or they get close enough to a deal that they can say okay we're not going to lock out or strike or whatever um so i i think it's possible um my answer would have been one percent like three weeks ago so take that for what you will mm, <laughs> not great five percent is an improvement um but yeah it's 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 not looking great i mean the good news and this is why they they set things to expire in the off season is if it takes a month, well, outside of really no free agent signings and probably no winter meetings, um, or at least at the big league side, we won't really notice it <laughs> because it's not the season. 
no games will be impacted. Spring training won't be impacted. Now, if it gets into, you know, early, if it's in two months, three months, all of a sudden, well, maybe you might see spring training pushed back a little bit, which, and this is a much bigger issue, but the, the player health cannot face a truncated spring training after 2020 and then last season coming off 2020. So that's a whole other issue. But um, I, I would anticipate, my guess is there will be a lockout, but we will barely notice it because it's offseason, so whatever. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, what does this do for free agency? Like I said, like Andrew Heaney just signed with the Dodgers. Uh, what happens if, I don't know, some rule is made in the CBA that like completely changes the structure of either you know team payroll or there's a salary floor a salary kind of cap or uh i don't don't know a different number for the uh you know i i don't know like what happens if if something changes in the cba can players still sign during a lockout are there possible rule changes that could affect free agency will teams how is this going to work so during a lockout there won't be anything happening um at least majorly because the major league lockout so you can probably I, i imagine not 100 percent sure, actually. Now that, you, now that I say it out loud, but I, I would think minor league signings would be okay. Where, where I think you'll see the impact, at least between now and when an agreement is reached, or at least between now and December second, um, uh, you won't. I, I would, I would be sh- very surprised if you see any of the big guys sign. I mean, you're not going to see, in all likelihood, a, a nine-figure deal. You might see some two or three-year deals that get into the eight figures. Um, but where, where there's going to be a big issue, so a team like, let's say, the A's, as an example, they are pretty clearly going to just completely unload everybody. I mean, they let their manager go without compensation. Teams don't do that, especially when, when the manager is Bob Melvin, right? And so it's pretty obvious what their plan is. But let's say there's been talk of a salary floor, right? whether it's $100 million or $80 million or $90 million, the A's, they, they probably will want to trade Sean Mania, Frankie Montas, Chris Bassett, um, Matt Olson, Matt Chapman, anybody not bolted down. But they probably can't do that until they know if there's a salary floor or not. Because what do the A's do if they go out and they make all these moves? They trade seven guys, they get their payroll down to $31 million, and they got to spend $69 million more to get to a payroll. And, and, and it's, it's one of those things where they go, well, we had good players, and why did we trade them if we had, you know? So I, I think that there is. That will slow things down, but I think the middle-tier free agents, I don't know that it will slow that down too much. And we saw it with Andrew Heaney just now, $8 million. That's, that's, that's the kind of deal we're going to see signed. Um, and I think the teams can really take advantage of this. And, and this, you know, I'm looking at you, Royals. I mean, I think that there's an opportunity to say, hey, we're going to get out ahead of this. The Royals are in no danger of hitting any luxury tax. So if they make a signing and the luxury tax drops to – 190 million or whatever it might be, they're not going to hit that. So it's not going to impact that. The Dodgers can't go out and do anything. That's a bad example. They're waiting on. Trevor I was Dodgers. just going to say they just signed Andrew. Heaney. <laughs> yeah, well, well, they, they, I mean that's a cheap one, but they, they they can't go out if they want to say, okay, we we like Trey Turner at second base. Mm-hmm. We're going to go out and we're going to re-sign Corey Seager. They can't do that because I mean, they, like I said, the Trevor Bauer contract is is mm-hmm. hovering over them as well, but. If if the pay, if the luxury tax is going to drop from two ten or whatever it was to one ninety, they've they've got to be a little more careful. But the Royals don't have to be be careful for that. So if they say, hey, we want to go out and we're going to sign, uh, this is a guy I've mentioned a couple of times, Daniel Hudson, for example. They want to get some some bullpen reinforcements. 
Um, he's not going to be crazy expensive. That This is an opportunity for them, I think, to be aggressive and say, hey, a lot of other teams, they, they can't make moves yet. You want a guaranteed deal before a potential lockout? Come to us. We got it. And so that's where I think you'll see some movement over the next, what is it now, three weeks, three and a half weeks, whatever it is. Um, because I, some players are going to want some certainty before a lockout. And I, and I think you'll see that in qualifying. I think, I think like, yeah, like Ray Iglesias, he'd be silly to turn down that, that qualifying offer. As $18.4 million as, as a reliever, yeah, you're kinda, he'd probably get more on a three-year deal. He might get 3 and 50 But at some point, take the money. You, you know, there's no guarantee they're going to play in 2022, honestly. I mean, I'm, I'm – I'd be shocked if they don't, <laughs> but at the same time, who knows? Work stoppages are, are scary. So I, I think you'll see that middle tier really clean up over the next month if, if teams are active. Um, but otherwise, it's going to be pretty quiet until this all gets settled. So I, I wasn't clear on, on this beforehand, but I, I guess the answer is yes. So if, Even if it is a lockout, players still get paid as long as they're under contract? I would assume so. I mean, they signed a contract. <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, it, it was such, looking back, I don't know for sure, but looking back at 2020 with the huge issue, if they hadn't come to an agreement, uh, the players would have gotten paid for 2020, games or not. So um, based on that is where my assumption lies. Very interesting. Uh, okay, so for the Royals offseason specifically, um, and again, who knows how the whole CBA thing is going to affect it for each individual team. But uh, who is your white whale in free agency for the Royals this offseason? My, my white whale is Max Scherzer. My realistic white <laughs> whale is um, you know, offensively, I, qualifying offer or not, uh, Michael Conforto would be awesome in right field. He, they could use a good lefty bat. They could use the, the patience. They could use the power. He's not a bad defender. He's young. I mean, this is that would be the guy that could really help bring a lineup together. You you start to you talk about adding Michael Conforto, Salvador Perez, Andrew Benintendi, um, Bobby Witt Jr., Nick Prado, MJ. These guys coming up, and then Prado and Melendez are lefties too. So maybe maybe it's a little bit overstated that they could use a lefty power bat, but they're also going to be rookies. So who knows? But that that's a guy. I mean, he he fits into a rebuild pretty much perfectly, and I know that. They've got Kyle Isbell and Edward Olivares and, and all that. But if you think you're going to compete, I mean, that, that's the middle-of-the-order bat that could really catapult them. And then, and then for arms, I love the idea of, of John Gray. Um, I don't know what's going on in Colorado. That is, that is the most mismanaged organization out there right now. And John Gray wants to say the Rockies want him, and yet they, he turned down a contract offer, and they didn't offer him a qualifying offer so i don't i don't really get it doesn't make any sense to me if the royals can get john gray i think that that would be a that would be a steal because he his his value might be a little bit suppressed because of the numbers he's put up in cores he seems like a guy who will break out in a big park without the thin air it's just it seems like a perfect fit so those are the two i'd love i'd love for them to go after i don't i don't know that i see them being too active in free agency i think it's more the trade market for them but um, if they did, they they could do far worse than those two. Okay, so what do you think are all the spots that make sense for the Royals to try to upgrade or bring guys in uh, through other ways of whether it's free agency or or trades? Is it as simple as just bringing in an outfield bat and 
a pitcher, maybe a reliever. I guess how deep down the line do you think they're going to go with bringing new guys in? Yeah, I mean, I think they really want a veteran starter. Um, I know that they have Mike Miner. I don't. I, I just have this feeling they're not going to have Mike Miner in 2022, and I think they want somebody to kind of replace him. And and I think they want a bigger fish. They want they want to look at. I mean, Frankie Montas is a name that I've mentioned that a bunch of people have mentioned that's come up a few times. The Reds obviously are now. They, they need to align what was it their, their payroll with their whatever it was. I don't know. It's some some stupid euphemism for we're going to suck next year. Um, <laughs> it, it, I mean, it's true. It's sad, but it's true. I mean, the Reds have three starters who have two years of control left. They've got Sonny Gray, Tyler Malley, and Luis Castillo, who's my personal favorite. Um, these are guys who they are young veterans who could headline a young rotation for at least the next two seasons. So. I think they're going to look for something, probably look to unload Miner's deal if they can. The Angels seem to make some sense there because they always pay for mediocrity. Um, and, and I think that they might look at an outfielder, and they could go free. Obviously, Al Garcia getting getting his – not getting his option picked up. I think maybe he didn't pick up his option. I can't remember which way it went. But he's a free agent, didn't get a qualifying offer. Um, he could he would make a lot of sense in right field. He's a very Royals type player, so I would not be surprised by that. Um, and yeah, I think I think a reliever or two. Um, I personally, I would love to see them. If if Iglesias didn't get the QO, I would have loved to see them just throw gobs of money at him because they they seem to have a really nice complimentary bullpen right now, but they need that big fish at the back. And and I think. It could end up being Dylan Coleman or Josh Stamond. I don't think Scott Barlow is that guy. Um, and I think the organization agrees with me as well. I don't know that it, it will align with what they will do. But I, I think that it would make a lot of sense um, to just to, just to get one more, one more big arm back there. Um, and I, Daniel Hudson's a guy who it could be, too. I'm, like I said, I mentioned him earlier. Um, but I think that's where they're going to look. Mostly complimentary because – if you look at the team, I mean, they're, they're pretty well set up. They've got left field and center field handled, some combination of players at second, third, and short. And first base, they'll start with Santana. If he doesn't turn it around, they'll go to Prado. Catcher, they've got Salvador Perez. DH, they've got a bunch of bats who are around, so they'll probably rotate that. I mean, they, they, they're pretty well set there, so they, they just kind of need to fill in the rest of the roster. And, I mean, their, their biggest moves are going to be internal improvements, really. Um, which is scary, but also kind of exciting. And <laughs> until it doesn't work, it's it's fun to think about. So they, they've got they've got a lot on their plates this winter. I, I think that um, it'll be interesting to see exactly you know what what direction they go. But I, I I just I don't see a lot of huge moves for them this winter. Well, you mentioned the guys that you'd like to see them go after, but is there anybody that you view as like? Not necessarily somebody you would or wouldn't like, but somebody that you're having a hard time seeing the Royals not end up going after. Yeah, I mean, Garcia makes a lot of sense just because if, if they don't – it kind of depends on, on, on how they want to handle the infield too because it could very well be that they say, okay, we are going to go Mickey Lopez at second, Bobby Witt Jr. at short, Alberto Mondesi at third, and Whit Merrifield in right. And if they do that, they're not going out to get a right fielder. They're going to get a fourth outfielder somewhere, maybe, I don't know, or maybe they give that job to Isbell, which I don't think they would do that just yet to make him a backup. Um, 
So I, I think they'd probably do that. But if they don't, if, if they decide to either trade Mondesi, which is a possibility, that, that's one of the, the most interesting storylines of the winter, I think, or make him a utility guy. I think Garcia makes a lot of sense. Um, I also just have a just a weird feeling. Haven't heard anything from anybody, but Dylan Bundy feels like the guy the Royals go after, who I just hate for 31 starts in 2022. <laughs> and, I mean, that, that, I could see that happening too. But I, yeah, it's nice to know that they're pretty. That their roster is in a in a pretty solid space right now because it means that there isn't likely to be the Chris. Not as likely to be the Chris Owing signing <laughs> that I rail on for months, stuff like that. So, fingers crossed, I don't hate any signings they make this year. Well, you mentioned Monacy being possible trade bid. I mean, what do you think you could get back for him? Could he be the centerpiece in like a Frankie Montas deal? I don't. I don't think so. the problem with Monacy in, in that type of deal is if you're trading with a team is reloading, he's only got two years of team control left, and so yeah, you might be buying low and saying we're we're gonna we're gonna turn him around to flip him i feel like that's probably not what's going to happen i I think you're going to see him if he gets moved it'll be a team i'm just throwing it like the giants a team that has a lot of talent and just wants some athleticism somewhere um that's a bad example because they've got they're pretty well set on the the left side of the infield and who knows if monesty can play outfield but I mean, a team like that that says, hey, we've got a lot of good players. We want to add an athletic guy with upside who could be the best. Um, or, you know, maybe maybe doesn't do anything, but whatever. Um, so it, it's tough to, to gauge what, what he might bring back because it's, there's just there's no track record. It, it, it's a guy who's all hype and no results so far outside of here and, you know, 10 games here and there. So it's tough. I I can't imagine they wouldn't be listening because he's a free agent after 23. At some point, you've got to say, look, we've we've got the pieces for the places that he plays. We don't need him. Let's let's get what we can and and just wish hope wish him the best and, and you know hope he has success somewhere else and doesn't hurt the Royals later. All right, uh, before we let you go, one last thing with Adam. All right, David, one last thing. When was your last interaction with a lusty deer? With, with what kind of deer? A lusty deer. This comes uh, from the oh, Kansas City deer. Police Department warning people of lusty deer crossing roadways and uh, stopping at nothing to find their mate. <laughs> I believe, you know, this was, oh my gosh, it's been a long time now. I was actually driving out to Lawrence. Um, mm. Gosh, it's, it's probably been a decade now. Um, you know, there, there's that spot on... on uh, on K10 that, that deers are, that just, they get out and, and they're, they're on the highway. I have, I was lucky. I spotted it. It was on the side of the road. So I kind of just slowed down and went around it, but it, you know, looking back in hindsight, I'm thinking it was lusty. It had that look in its eyes, huh? It had that look. Yeah. It, it, it was like, Hey, I'm going to buy you some dinner. And, <laughs> um, and I said, no, I've already eaten. And I drove off. Well, I, I admire yourself. Your, I admire, you know what? I admire that you realize that uh, you're you're not your love is not for sale. I admire that. No, I think you know what it takes more than a steak. All right, yeah, it takes at least two. Good for you. Good for <laughs> you. you. Go. Uh, by the way, that sounds like a if, if anybody's looking for like a new minor league team name, that's that sounds like that could that could work. I want to see that logo. Oh yeah, hundred uh, percent. All right, that's David Lesky of Inside the Crown. David, thank you so much for the time. As always, man.
Definitely. Thanks, guys. All right, that's David Lesky inside the crown. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, klwn.com. Depend on it. Welcome back in. About a quarter till five. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm excited coming up at the top of the five o'clock hour. We're going to do a new segment. It's called College Basketball Stock Market. And we're basically going to invest in certain stocks, i.e. college basketball teams, and see how they do. So we'll do that at the top of the uh, 5 o'clock hour with Adam Javetta, Derek Johnson here on RCST. Uh, but first, it's a Monday, so we got to get on to our NFL Monday overreactions. And first up, I'll go ahead and get things started. The Browns are a true AFC contender now that Odell Beckham Jr. is not on the roster. The year is 18 or 1986. <laughs> the Browns are AFC contenders again. Well, I mean, uh, without Odell, they've been like, they, they've just been better. Here are the stats. Uh, this is since he signed with the team in 2019. And this includes the playoffs. Or traded for him, I guess. Uh, the, with him in the lineup, 14 and 15, 22.7 points per game. Without Odell in the lineup, including this past Sunday, 9 and 5, averaging 26.7 points per game. So they are a lot better. Win loss percentage wise, they average four more points per game. Uh, that's not like a giant sample, but that's, that's basically a full season and basically almost two seasons of another, like with or without. That's kind of a. Pretty solid sample size. I, I mean, uh, there, there's something to be said about the locker room, the pressure on Baker Mayfield. Uh, I don't know. It just seems like they're better without him for whatever reason. And I do think the Browns are good. I think this also speaks to the idea that the AFC is kind of wide open. I think the Browns are a legit AFC. They're not like top three or top four for me, but they are a legit AFC contender now that Odell Beckham is gone. I... um. I don't know. I still don't think their quarterback is good enough to be a very real AFC contender. Uh, I think there's even situations where a team gets a one seed and you look at them and you still go, all right, I understand they're the one seed. They've got home field advantage. I still don't see how they win two straight games to win against high-level competition. But there's, there's, there's zero denying that they are a better team, or at the very least, they've performed better without Odell Beckham. So Joe Baker Mayfield had the number one rated pro football focus quarterback grade on Sunday, and he did it without Odell Beckham. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, look, I, I think, um, I don't know that Baker Mayfield has a strong enough personality, and I also don't think he's good enough uh, to just kind of overcome Odell Beckham as uh, the problem he is in a locker room. So I think that does take a lot off of Baker Mayfield's mind. Um, and I think they've got a fine coach. I, I think there's a lot in Cleveland to be excited about. It's just I still can't picture him. I don't know. I can't picture them winning um, two or three straight games in the playoffs to advance to the Super Bowl. But I, I think the biggest point you made, well, I think the biggest point you made is how much better they are without Odell. The second biggest point I think you made is just how different and how wide open the AFC is. That plays a huge role in it. What's your first uh, overreaction? All right. My first overreaction is, if I can find them, overreaction. I'm sorry. I had my one last thing open. Uh, the Ravens. They're the team to beat in the NFL. I uh, think uh, suddenly Lamar Jackson can pass. 
I think uh, they've got uh, they've come back from three or four double digit deficits in the second half this year, which has always been a knock on Lamar that they've they've kind of ran an offense that is such that um, it's really difficult to beat them when they get up by multiple scores. But it also makes it very difficult for them to come back when down by multiple scores. They've overcome that. Um, I put the Ravens as the best team in the National Football League. Uh, even surpassing the Arizona Cardinals. I kind of think they're going to win the AFC this year. I, I still really like a lot of teams in the NFC above the top AFC teams, but last weekend uh, there were a lot of cross-divisional games and the AFC kind of dominated, including the Sunday nightcap, which was the Titans just kind of blasting the Rams. My um, number two, despite everything I just said about the Browns being better without Odell Beckham Jr., the Kansas City Chiefs need Odell Beckham Jr. to be an AFC legit contender because uh, the Chiefs are severely missing, in my opinion, a, another receiver right now. They are becoming an offense that is getting shut down these last couple of weeks, get shut down against the Titans. Uh, you don't really look right against the Giants. You still don't look right against the Packers. And I keep seeing McCole Hardman getting pretty heavily involved in the offense down the field. And yet I see him dropping two passes. I see him fumbling. Right on the money. Yeah, I see him muffling, muffing a punt. Like, you have to get somebody else in there who is actually okay. And um, beyond that, the idea that the Chiefs need to be more of this, like, short passing offense to counter what the defenses are doing against them. You need somebody who can go over the middle of the field and kind of make intermediate plays. The plays that they scored a, a couple touchdowns against the Chargers with and Patrick Mahomes' first start as the true starter in the first game of 2018 was a lot of uh, Tyreek Hill across the middle and then his speed just going. Uh, I think if you get a taller receiver uh, to be able to do that or if you just get a second threat that you can do that, um, I know they have two threats now, but if you get a second threat specifically that can go across the middle, i.e. Odell Beckham, I do think this locker room can handle him. I also think if you look at the history of moves like this, you get maybe a half to a full season out of these types of wide receivers when they find themselves on a Super Bowl contender before it falls apart. Uh, Randy Moss had two or three legit seasons in New England when everybody thought that was going to be a huge problem um, until it fell apart. Um, Antonio Brown uh, didn't get a huge chance in New England, although he was really talented for the time he was. Uh, but then he's, he's been, you know, a model citizen in Tampa. And sadly, I don't know, you know, I don't know how long that'll continue, but it's continuing so far. And then Terrell Owens is another example uh, that you had, you had for a year. And, and without any real problems. And then he became a problem that, that next training camp. So I think maybe there's something to be said about Odell Beckham coming in, veterans minimum, knowing he's got nothing after this season if he doesn't perform. Um, I, I don't know. I wouldn't be opposed to it, but I, I also put it this way. I don't think any locker room is immune to Odell Beckham taking it down, but I do think there are a lot of pieces in this Chiefs locker room that uh, – that I could say, all right, maybe it could work out. Um, my next one, 40 passes is no longer a high number of passes in a game. Yesterday, Matt Stafford, Jimmy Garoppolo, Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen in a 9-6 to game. 9-6, to Derek. Did you watch that? Jacksonville beat Buffalo 9-6. to That game was on the TV. They made people watch that. Dude, Josh Allen just dominating. Uh, 
uh, Carr threw for over 40 passes. Jacoby Brissett, Burrow, and Justin Herbert threw for 38. 40 passes is no longer a high number of passes in the National Football League. Yeah, Josh Allen was my player of the week, by the way. Uh, that would not be an overreaction. Uh, Kyle Shanahan is what we thought Cliff Kingsbury would be, which when Cliff Kingsbury got hired, the thought was, okay, he's not a good coach overall, a good head coach overall, but he's a good offensive play caller. That has quickly become Kyle Shanahan. Uh, they had the one year where they make the Super Bowl and they lose to the Chiefs. Outside of that, constantly underperforming. Um, whenever they haven't had even just like a serviceable quarterback, they've been terrible. And and now they're looking at, you know, back-to-back kind of below 500 seasons. Kyle Shanahan might just be like a really good offensive coordinator that's not a great head coach. And if you don't have like a good defensive coordinator with good defensive players like they did when they went to the Super Bowl, you had Robert Sala, who's now a head coach, and you had really good defensive players, then you're kind of screwed because that might be kind of all he can provide. Meanwhile, Cliff Kingsbury has, I think, shown this year that, no, he's not just a good offensive play caller. He might be a good head coach. I mean, they win that game without Kyler Murray. Colt McCoy was slinging it around the 49ers defense. Kyle Shanahan is what we thought Cliff Kingsbury was. Do you think uh, Kyle Shanahan is holding on to Trey Lance as like a a chip so he can say to his bosses in the offseason when they're thinking about firing him, but wait a minute, we still got this one I haven't trotted out. Oh, yeah, no, if if you trot him out, I don't know who they play the last couple weeks of the season, but let's say they have an easy schedule. No, but if you trot him out and and they win even the last game or something against a bad opponent, he can point to that and be like, listen, I know you didn't like the direction this went, but look, now that we got the new got guy in this there, new kid. exactly, we won this last game, Like, you got to keep me around. I'm willing to see what Shanahan can do with a, a, a Hall of Fame level quarterback. I don't know if Trey Smith or Trey Smith, Trey Lance will do that. Um, they could always get Aaron Rodgers. They could. Uh, I'm willing to see what he can do with the legit Hall of Fame quarterback if he's given that opportunity, but... I think the bigger part of what you just said is how much better Cliff Kingsbury has been uh, than than I certainly expected, and I think than what a lot of people expected. Uh, my next one, the Chiefs should blitz less than five times against uh, Derek Carr and the Raiders. Um, I think I, I'm basing that on the pass rush they seem to be able to be getting with just their front four now that uh, Chris Jones is back uh, at, at defensive tackle. I think... Uh... You could also make a case, I don't know, I, I haven't watched the Raiders enough to know how they do specifically against the Blitz, but I think back to week one against the Ravens, they were getting blitzed like all out and they had a really good offensive game. So there's something to that, but boy, would that be a a bit of a change from what we saw last, this past Sunday, right? It felt like zero blitz was the most common term used in that game and they were just going after Jordan Love and, and you kind of expect that with a rookie. So I, I think that'd be smart. All right, here's my last one. Most outlandish. Urban Meyer is in the running for NFL Coach of the Year. He won't win it because of the media narrative. They're just out to get this guy. Uh, but in all reality, like we did this with Brian Flores a couple years ago. The Dolphins went like four and twelve or five and eleven, and it was like, but they were supposed to be so bad that we gave him credit for even doing that. Uh, last I checked, Jaguars are the only team in the NFL right now to have doubled up their win total from a season before. So take that. Take that, haters. That's a terrible, like, you know, <laughs> even for an overreaction, that's awful. Um, I don't even know. I'll say this. If they miss the playoffs by one game, I'll I'll make him my 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 choice for NFL Coach of the Year. 
No, I give it to them now. They go two and fifteen. Okay. <laughs> well, wouldn't they have to go? What if they go three and fourteen? Because they would have tripled it, but mm. they have an extra game to do it. That's even better. Then it's just like slam dunk. Without a doubt, he's winning coach of the year. It's not even close. Who would they have to beat with that third win? It doesn't even matter because it's just like you know, for the Chiefs stuff, the double. There, Chiefs can't win twenty eight games this year. What's your last one? Um, I uh, thought I think the Blitz one was my last one. I'm still kind of stuck on. Uh, I don't know. I'm still kind of really fascinated by mm. what it is you just said. Okay, how about this one? Well, that one was mo- mostly joking. Uh, it's probably all a joke. Uh, Colt McCoy is the best backup in NFL history. No, that's, well, mm. um, yeah, it was weird as he hadn't had an opportunity to play for Andy Reid yet. <laughs> and Andy Reid really, imagine the money he could have gotten for Colt McCoy. Mm. The, the money that Andy Reid has gotten for career backups has been incredible. And Colt McCoy's got to be jealous about that. Yes, he does. Yes, he been, does. You know, they, he's, he's forced teams to straight up trade and pay elite back, or I mean, uh, career backups to be treated and paid for like starters. Well, they're going to have to bring somebody in. I mean, Chad Henney's got to be close to retiring at some point. Like, who's next? Who is the next Chiefs backup quarterback? Who will it be? Who will be the guy? Because, I mean, that that is like hitting the jackpot based on just the fact that you probably are going to earn like a really good second contract or stay in the league as a backup for a decade after that. So uh, that'll be a really big deal for whoever that is for, for that person, right? Just individually. All right. Uh, with Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. Coming up at the top of the 5 o'clock hour, we'll have our college basketball stock market where we're going to kind of take college basketball teams and, uh, yeah, we're going to pick them based on that. All right, this is our CST. Could your business use a little push right now? Need help getting the word out there that you're hiring? Do you just want to let people know how great of a product you have? Well, you can advertise with Rock Chalk Sports Talk and or the Best of RCST podcast. For more information, contact djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Adam Dravetta, Derek Johnson on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. So I kind of teased it earlier. We're going to do a new segment. We're going to do this once a week, and we're going to update it every Monday. During the college basketball season, it's called College Basketball Stock Market Report. And if you heard my interview with Jim Root uh, previewing the college basketball season a couple weeks ago, uh, you might know where I'm going with this. Um, so how we're going to do this, it's going to be based on Ken Palm. And Ken Palm has this thing called adjusted EM, which is basically a measurement of how good a team is that specific season. Um, and it stands for adjusted efficiency margin. And you come up with it with your adjusted offensive rating, which is your uh, points scored per 100 possessions adjusted for your opponent, and you subtract your defensive adjusted efficiency, which is your points allowed per 100 possessions adjusted for your strength of schedule, your opponent, how good their offenses are, right? So you come up with the offense minus the defense. It comes up with the adjusted EM, and they all have these numbers. So, like, for instance, last year, the number one team by adjusted EM, which is how teams get ranked in Ken Palm, ended up being Gonzaga. They had a plus 36.48, which is one of the highest numbers ever. Uh, Baylor last year ended up at a plus 33.87. Nobody else above 30. By comparison, 
Oh, wait, Kansas is one of the highest graded Ken Palm team ever. They have a plus 35.21 adjusted EM. So we have numbers on these adjusted EMs for all the different teams in college basketball as we start the season. For instance, Kansas is third at a 26.3. Now, that number of adjusted EM is going to correlate to the amount of dollars that one stock would cost to buy that team. So if you wanted to buy 10 stocks of Kansas basketball, that would cost you 10 times 26.3, which would equal $263. We're going to each start with a thousand fake dollars. And we're going to make a rule here because you don't have to invest the entire money at the beginning of the season or in a given week. You just have to have at every point in time at the end of the week, at least 50% of your money invested each week. You can save the rest of it if you want for future spending or just have savings just so you know you have kind of a cushion um, as opposed to kind of hitting rock bottom, which is probably the smart way to do it. But I'm going to spend probably too much of my fake money here. Uh, so pretty much what we're going to do with that fake $1,000, you can spend as uh, on as many teams. You can buy a stock here, a stock there. You can invest multiple, you know, buy five shares of a stock of, of one team or whatnot. And then every week we are going to, you can either stick with a team and keep watching the stock rise, hopefully, or hope that if they had a bad week, they bounce back up. You can maybe sell them off if they maybe played some good opponents and won, and you think it's downhill from there, and you think that's the high point. It's just like buying and selling stocks. And I don't know much about buying and selling stocks, but this is hopefully going to be kind of similar to that. So kind of an interesting idea. Um, so I guess we'll go ahead and get this thing going. Adam, do you want to give your first stock buy? Um. I wanted uh, five shares of Duke uh, there at twenty one ninety five. I think uh, I think one they're going to get a win over Kentucky, which will help them um, jump up in the short term. Also, they're kind of famously play a a very bad non con, which won't give them a chance to jump up at, at a huge level. But I think it will kind of protect them from falling too much, uh, unless they. And what was it, Stephen F. Austin, who pulled yeah, an upset, right. pulled a surprise in Cameron the other day mm -hmm. or the other year, uh, unless something like that happens. So I think Duke is is I don't expect them to skyrocket. Um, I, I don't think they'll be near thirty come year end because I don't know that they're a national title contender. But I think they're safe and, and something I can hold on to as, as, as for stability purposes. So I like that pick. I'm going to actually copy that, but I'm going to put more shares into it. I'm, I'm taking 10 shares of the Duke stock at 21.95 is what it costs. That is their adjusted EM rating, 21.95. Um, out of comparison here, by the way, so I'm not going to look at last year's because you had less games. You had less non-conference games. Not going to look at 2020. We didn't have the NCAA tournament. The last, I guess, fully completed season in college basketball was 2019. And if we go off that... Um, the top 10 teams in the country at the end of the year in Ken Palm all finished with an adjusted EM of 26.24 better. So if you think Duke will end up as a top 10 team, which I do, you might just think that they're going to end as a plus 26 or better. That'd be like a five-point gain. Mm -hmm. That'd be a nice little pickup there. So I'm going to put 10 stocks into Duke um, or 10 shares into Duke. Uh, certainly, you would think in Coach K's final season, they're going to get all the official calls, um, <laughs> but uh, like realistically, Paulo Bancaro is going to probably be really, really good for them. Uh, so I'll, I'll put 10 shares into Duke. And then uh, 
my first unique one that's different from you, Houston. Houston, I'm going to put 10 shares into them. Uh, they're 21.9, and they're right behind Duke in terms of adjusted EM. So if I put 10 shares, that cost me $219, cost me $219.50 for, for the 10 Duke shares. Houston, despite losing all these players, uh, they still have a really good team. I believe they had a pretty big win over Texas in a secret scrimmage. I don't know if I'm allowed to share that, but uh, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And that would serve as pretty beneficial to me. They still brought in a couple good transfers. And I think that Houston, you just trust the program or that. And they're also in the AAC. They're going to get to pick up a lot of good wins. I mean, you look at last year, like Houston last season, um, ended up on Ken Palm ranked fifth with a plus 28.75 adjusted EM. And we never really got to figure out how good they were. I mean, they might have been like a, an above average team because they didn't even beat a single digit seed on their way to a, a final four appearance. But if you just keep beating up on teams, eventually, if you blow them out by so much, you're going to raise in the rankings. So I'm, I'm going to go with Houston. I think that's a good long-term investment. I, I think anytime you have a good coach is a long-term yeah. investment. I'm sticking with a good coach. Same state, same secret scrimmage, as a matter mm. of fact. I got five shares of the Texas Longhorns. Um, I think there's going to be a time when we do this segment in, like, mid-December where I'm a little nervous. They're at 21.15 right now. I've got five shares of them for $105.75. Um, I do. I like this trading platform we're using, by the way, that there's no uh, there's no fee <laughs> Usually you charge like eight or nine bucks for buying stocks. Yeah, and if there's um, a GameStop stock situation, like we won't have any trading platforms that limit us from, from yeah, how much call. we can get. Yeah. Um so I, I do think, you know, they're at twenty one point one twenty one fifteen right now. I can see a scenario with Texas where they're getting all to know each other, the coach is getting to know to the players, the players are getting to know the coach, et cetera, et cetera. Um, where they're si we're sitting in mid-December, and I'm going, boy, was this a mistake because they're down around the 20 or 19 area. But I really think, particularly because not only do they have a who I think is a great coach, a coach who I've said for years I wanted. I, I want Bill Self more than Chris Beard, but if Bill Self decides to make the NBA leap, I, I would Chris Beard is the call I make and say, you name your price, how much money do you want, how much money do you want for assistance, how much time do you want on a private jet. You do what it takes to get a guy like Chris Beard. I think he's a fantastic coach, and I think a fantastic coach on top of the fact that he's already familiar with the conference in which he's going to be competing. I think Texas might be dipping around Christmas, uh, but I think in the long run they're going to be they're going to wind up around 25, 26 or so with a lot of good wins in conference play. So five shares of that costs you one hundred five seventy five. I I was eyeing them as well, but I'm going to actually wait because I no I one's going to want them as a six seed man. Oh, absolutely not. They're a team that I'm I'm kind of hoping drops down a little bit, dips down, and then I can buy them for even cheaper than you got them for. Uh, my next one, I'm going to go with Kentucky. They're twenty eighty nine, so I'm going to get ten shares of Kentucky stock that costs $208.90. Uh, Kentucky is a really, really talented team. And uh, the big issue last season was they had no shooting. I mean, when I say they had no shooting, it's uh, like that. that is very much an understatement to last season. In the 2021 season, or I guess the 2022-21 season uh, a year ago, Kentucky shot 33.6% on threes. They shot 45.5% 
on twos. They ranked 312th in two-point percentage. They ranked 289th in effective field goal percentage. All of a sudden, you bring in this here. You go out on the transfer market. You get a kid from Iowa and C.J. Frederick, who that's what he's known for. You go out there and get uh, Kellen Grady, a kid that that's what he's known for at Davidson. Um, you bring in some more five-star recruits. I think Kentucky is going to be back to what they normally are, which is like a really good team who ends up getting a you know two or three seed or something in the NCAA tournament and then can do some damage from there. So I, I think this is kind of a good buy-low opportunity where they're predicted, which is finishing 17th in Ken Palm. I think they finished above that. I got 20 shares of Milwaukee Panthers at 534. Mm, that's an interesting one. I think they could – I, I, I kind of – Honestly, more than anything, I just view that as a possibility they could double what they currently are, thus double my investment. Um, I don't know that they're ever going to get into like that, even that 15, 16 range mm-hmm. on adjusted EM on Ken Palm. Um, but I do see them as, as a, a team that can, um, if nothing else, uh, enjoy enjoy some, some success and, and, and raise what I, I'm. It's more about buying low. Yeah. Um, Warren Buffett talked about uh, discarded. Mm. Ci- Warren Buffett talked about discarded cigar butts that you <laughs> you buy them when they haven't quite all the way been smoked. Mm. So you buy them very cheaply. You get as many last few puffs out of them as you can, um, and that's how you collect a, a big amount of money. So I'm, uh, this is not a great uh, a great situation that I'm buying in at for a for a modest pr- or for a, a medium price. It is an okay situation that I'm buying in at a very, very cheap price. So what's interesting there, Patrick Baldwin went to go play for his dad, Pat Baldwin, instead of going to Duke and and the likes. He is the, I believe, number three recruit in the country. I know he's projected to go in the top five of mock drafts. Sharp shooting big man. You would think he's going to absolutely dominate the Horizon League. And I'm looking at some of their non-con, too. Like, they're playing the 317th best team, the 217th, 341st, 290th, 283rd. They play a couple other solid teams as well. But, like, they're going to have real good opportunities with him at the helm that if he's as good as he's supposed to be, like, this could very easily, you could basically, like, double your profits on, on this one. Uh, very easily. Uh, okay, I'm going to go with five shares in Michigan State at plus 18.82. I thought about waiting on this one till after the KU game because uh, like KU's favored to win and everything. I just think overall this is a good long-term buy. It's not necessarily a, a short-term thing in that you know it's just for the KU game. I just think I'm not counting on Tom Izzo in Michigan State, especially when you bring in like five-star recruit, when you have a lot of guys coming back, when you have Marcus Bingham, who is just blocking like every shot in exhibition games. I kind of feel like I'm not going to count against a coach of that caliber to have another down season back-to-back. So uh, 18.82 adjusted EM, they could very easily finish in the top 10, be a 25 EM, and get you, you know, seven dollar raise for every share that you get into the stock so five shares of that cost me 94 10 yeah tom Izzo is is a safe one mm-hmm. i think you know you're gonna they're probably gonna build yeah i i Izzo is always a very safe bet um i got arizona state i got 10 shares of arizona state um i their coach is not as established bobby hurley he's not as established as uh tom Izzo, but i still think he's a good coach I, and i think the Pac-12 is the kind of conference that I don't know if they're going to be producing any one seeds except maybe UCLA, uh, but I do think if, if you are a team that can finish, the Pac-12 has enough quality that if you can finish in the top five, you'll probably wind up with a higher um, adjusted EM than, uh, than 1372. 
Yeah, I think that's a good one. Uh, okay, I'll go with 10 shares on North Carolina. I'm just going blue blood heavy here, I guess. Uh, North Carolina is only a 16.11. They are ranked 40th in Ken Palm. Do you actually think North Carolina is going to finish 40th? Um, I mean, I do. I, I look. I, I saw North Carolina miss the tournament a few times under yeah. Roy Williams. Um, I'm not super high on Hubie as a coach, although he's landed some guys. So maybe. Um, we'll see. I guess. I, 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 I. This is not a crazy. It's not. You know, if you wanted to tell me what's more likely right now, them jumping from top forty to like top twenty-five. Or them falling to like 60th, I'd say them jumping is more likely. Uh, just if nothing else, the quality of talent they have. Um, so no, it's it, that there's nothing unreasonable about that. They uh, brought in some good transfers. Armando Baycott's back, who should be really good. They bring back the guards. Although Caleb Love had one of like uh, this is not um, hyperbole. He had one of the worst shooting seasons of all time. So that's not great. He shot 34% on twos and shot 26% on threes. And he took over 200 twos and over 123s. If he can just be like a relatively efficient guard, then they should be a lot better. But they were 34th in adjusted EM last year. I think they're better than 40th. I, I view them as, I, I agree, like I don't love the higher necessarily. And I don't view them in the same light as Kentucky and Duke and Kansas where they're blue bloods that I think are top 10 teams this year. But I think North Carolina should at least be like, you know, one of those years where they're like an eight seed in the tournament. And I think there's at least something to be gained out of their kind of low-adjusted EM. Uh, what is your last one? Stuck in the ACC, uh, Florida State, five shares at 1861 a pop. Um, again, I'm just basing this on good coach, a team that consistently, uh, you know, performs. It never, like, they're never at a at a national title caliber level, uh, but they're always you can always count on them to be steady. Uh, I might be basically, you know, this might be one of those things where I had to spend. I, I needed to get another 90 bucks or so mm -hmm. to get over it. We have a rule where you got to spend $500 or you got to spend half of what you've got uh, every week. Uh, right now I have, um, I, ha I needed it to get to up to $500. Um, and I thought they, if nothing else, I didn't think they would drop too far. Yeah, I think that's a good one. Uh, I think they're underrated. All right, my last one I'm going to take kind of just shot into the dark. And like, I, I wanted to pick a lower money team. I'm going to put 20 shares into DePaul stock. They are plus 3.17. Uh, by the way, we made a rule. You can't pick anybody at zero or below because it just would mess up the whole thing. Um, but DePaul at plus 3.17 is interesting. The, the Big East is not like super loaded. So there is actually, you know, opportunity to kind of move up there at least, you know, not until like the top with your Villanovas and, and so forth. But Xavier is projected to be the third best team in the Big East right now. And I'm not really necessarily buying that. Like they only have three teams, uh, I guess four, if you count 50 exactly as the cutoff in the top 50 in, in Ken Palm, like Marquette, Providence, Georgetown, those are all non-top 70 teams. So DePaul might have a chance to pick up a few wins that they're not supposed to. Uh, Tyon Grant Foster transferred over there. I think Charlie Moore might be back for another year, although actually he might have grad transferred uh, transferred yet again somewhere else. I don't even remember, but uh, they have a new coach. Uh, I'll just take a, a risk on it. It's a, it's a low buy, uh, just 20 stock or 20 shares of it just costs 63.40. So uh, I'll put out a graphic with both of our picks. Adam has a lot more money left over, so I could uh, very easily go in the toilet. I have $34 left. Adam has $447 left, and we'll see how we do next week. Real quick, just like hypothetically. The Berkshire we... Hathaway way, always had be cash 
heavy. <laughs> if we if we had to short a stock, if you had to to basically try to go bankrupt, or I guess yeah, short a stock against somebody, does anybody stick out? Um. Yeah, I am not as high on UCLA as everybody. Now, I, I want to be clear. I don't think they're going to like be out of the tournament or anything. But I think any in this situation, and we did discuss how they, they were ranked about 20th when they lost. Um, who's the kid that got injured last year? Um, well, they had two injuries, Chris Smith, and I can't remember the, the name of the other kid. So yeah. at, at the time of their injuries, they were, they were a top 25 team. They did make that final four run as an 11 seed. Um, but I think in, in a team like this, any team like this that has a, a team name other than UCLA across their chest probably comes in ranked more like 15th to 18th uh, rather than top three. So I, I don't, again, I want to be clear. This doesn't mean I think UCLA is going to be garbage, but I, I could view them falling out of the top 10 and, and, and being more like a four or five seed come tournament time. Yeah, I kind of think we missed on not picking Oregon as, as a stock that could be going. But, um, I don't know, San Francisco at 34th in Ken Palm, that seems a little weird. Is Bill Russell back for them? Uh, not to my knowledge, but who knows? I haven't been keeping up with my, uh, I think, the Dons basketball. So Yep, San Francisco Dons. There we go. Uh, all right, that is our college basketball stock market report. We'll have more of that uh, next week. With Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson. This is RCST on FM 1017 1320 KLWN. Depend on it.